Welcome to the Metal Miner Podcast. I'm Taras Berezowski. After the Commerce Department's Section 232 findings in early 2018, President Donald Trump decided to take action. And the rest, as Metal Miner readers have come to know, is history. With this new podcast series, we aim to take a closer look at the U.S. manufacturing landscape in our current time of trade tariffs. We'll explore how manufacturers themselves are affected by the tariffs. In other words, who are the winners and who are the losers? And we'll also look at what it all means for the maker-to-user trend that we've seen gain steam the past several years. For more on maker-to-user, download our free white paper about that topic on the site. Think farm-to-table, but for manufacturing rather than for food. I'd say that the trend on food is long-term because people really care about what they put in their bodies. So far, they haven't cared as much about what they put on their bodies. That's today's guest, Harry Moser, and the beginning of his take on Maker to User, which you'll hear later in the interview. Harry's no stranger to following trends in global trade and how they've shaped U.S. manufacturing. He leads the Reshoring Initiative, a nonprofit with the ultimate goal of bringing as many jobs back to the U.S. as possible. So how's all that going? Well, listen in to Lisa Reisman's conversation with Harry Moser. Great. Well, Harry, thanks so much for rejoining us. I think the last time you and I had formally spoken was already several years ago. Um, It would be great if you wouldn't mind just to reintroduce yourself to the Metal Miner audience, um, explain your organization and your role within it. That would be wonderful. Yeah, Thank thank you, Lisa. It's great to be back. So, uh, Harry Moser, I'm the founder and president of the Reshoring Initiative, which is a not-for-profit that has a mission to bring back millions of manufacturing jobs. Uh, But to give a a little more connection, for 25 years, I was president of what was then called Charmé, which is EDM uh, machine tools. And for about seven years, I was in the foundry industry. So I've I've got a lot of metal in my blood, so to speak. Terrific. (laughs) Great. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of jump right into, uh, I think, I believe the topics that that you cover. And we are very interested in the Metal Miner readership is just very interested in general about the state of reshoring from more of a macro perspective. What are you seeing today, maybe? um, And and how is it it compared to just a few years ago? Okay. Uh, I'll I'll try and put it in perspective. Uh, First, when I say reshoring, I'm referring to both reshoring by U.S. companies, think General Motors, and foreign direct investment by, say, Toyota or Siemens. So it's bringing jobs to the U.S., no matter where the parent company is headquartered. And uh, looking at including both of those categories, 2017 hit a record 170,000 manufacturing jobs, which was up 50% from 2016 and 2,800% from 2010. Another way of looking at that was that the 170,000 jobs equaled about 82% of the entire 207,000 manufacturing jobs added in 2017. So this was quite a significant impact on what actually happened in 2017. The surge in reshoring started in the fourth quarter of 16 when President Trump was elected. That's 2017. Now, what's happened since? What's happened since the implementation of tariffs? 2018 is projected to be about 131,000, which is down 23% from 2018, but it's still the second highest year in history. So 
2017 was awesome, uh, completely unforecast, and 2018 is still very good, but not quite as good. Okay, now that's really, really helpful. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I know we've got a, a, several questions we want to kind of keep on this reshoring th theme. So how is it that you, I think you alluded to it in terms of the number of jobs, how do you assess the degree to which reshoring is happening? Or what are the metrics that you're looking at? Is it basically just job growth? We look primarily at job growth because that's what everybody seems to care about. That's what the government wants to achieve, economic developers and so on. So we uh, do it the old-fashioned way, I guess. We, we earn it. We tabulate every job that we can find, every action that we can find that involves reshoring or foreign direct investment, and then we uh, record the company, the number of jobs, the industry, the reasons, all that kind of thing, and then we add them up. And when we, and the total we come up with is that for 2017 was that 170,000. Got it. Okay, makes sense. So um, I'm curious how you all, and is it the same set of metrics that you're using? Uh, obviously, our readers are broadly impacted by tariffs, uh, not just the 232 on steel and aluminum, but the other, the parts tariffs, the 301 and the Section 201. Um, how does that change how or what you're measuring, if anything, um, based on what you just told us? You know, I believe the... First background, I believe the U.S. needs to be more self-sufficient in such metals. We can't allow ourselves to get to where we were going in aluminum and, and tending towards in steel. Not, to me, not acceptable for, for, the, uh, for the country that we are. The, the 232 tariffs on aluminum and steel would have been better focused on China, but they did get our allies' attention. You know, overall, I'd say for jobs, for reshoring, probably a net negative short term, but in the long term, probably a good thing or probably going to play out well. I, I just, I hope so. The, the 201 tariffs on solar and appliances seem to have worked. Uh, companies Whirlpool definitely brought back the production of appliances. The, you know, mm -hmm. Things seem to be working out pretty well. So, some solar companies have done so. The, the 301 on China I think are better focused, but they're maybe 10 years too late. We should have done that before China became the the huge manufacturing empire that it is. Um, because now, and now when work comes out of China, much of it will move to India, Vietnam, Mexico, places like that. So I, I think given where we are today, it'd be much better to, we call level the whole playing field because what happened with the steel, especially the steel and aluminum tariffs, we made steel and aluminum more expensive than it would have been, which is great for the steel and aluminum country companies, and I'm pleased that they're doing so well, but it makes it harder for the people that use steel and aluminum. They're, they're less competitive than they would have been. I mean, you, everyone's heard that 20 times. And so instead, we would have gotten the dollar down, and there's good methods for doing that. We would have added a value-added tax so that things coming into our country are taxed just like ours are going into their countries. I would have put even more emphasis on skilled workforce development to make us more competitive. Now, we've taken some of those actions that would help both the steel makers and the steel users, for example. 
Interesting. Interesting. So do you care to comment on the impact of the new NAFTA, the USMCA, and what's your take on how that's going to impact manufacturing the U.S. in general, um, assuming everybody ratifies the deal? Yeah, I, I suspect they will. It's in everybody's interest. Really, I, th- I think not really much has changed. The, 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 it's been nipped and tucked around the edges. The, uh, the increase in the uh, North American content from 625 to 75%, that's great. The requirement for uh, workers, many of the workers, to, to make $16 an hour or more, that's good. But finally, product coming in from Mexico and Canada is still only uh, dutied at 2.5% if it does not qualify under NAFTA. So the differences in in the in the duty rate is so small that finally we're talking thousands or tens of thousands of jobs, whereas we put together a program that would get Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. together that could bring bring back millions of jobs. For example, bring the uh, lower skilled, more labor intensive work to Mexico. Bring the higher skilled, more technology intensive to the U.S. and Canada. And, and we believe that there's millions of jobs that could be brought back with a, a very strong cooperation between the three countries. Instead of making the three countries more or less opponents on this, I would have made them allies. And I would have targeted work product that's now coming in from China. So, for example, Mexico has, I think, an $80 billion trade deficit with China. And yet the wages in Mexico and China are about equal. So it's crazy for Mexico to have a, a trade deficit with China. So bring back the, eliminate Mexico's trade deficit with China, eliminate Canada's, cut ours by a third, and you can bring back about 2 million jobs and make those products in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. I see. I see. Great. No, interesting. So in general, I'm hearing mixed things, and tell me if you'd agree or disagree. How would you say the Trump administration's tariffs, how have they landed on the on manufacturers? Have they largely, have they net-net helped or net-net hurt U.S. manufacturing? Trump is the first president to aggressively do anything about trade, and therefore, his efforts to do something about trade have net helped because they give hope to U.S. manufacturers. So Trump has helped the tariffs as such uh, in the short term, I would, I'd say, have hurt. But they've shown that the country is willing to take the pain, to take the actions to make things better. And therefore, in the long run, I believe they will have helped. Got it. I have a, a question, Harry, for you that I think uh, perfectly compares and contrasts the metal miner readership on the issue of tariffs and would just love to have you weigh in on this. So for example, we have automakers like Ford who went on record as saying that the tariffs had cost them over a billion dollars in profits this past year. And at the same time, we saw companies like Honda posting record North American uh, profits because of their more local manufacturing footprint. Um, How do trade policies like tariffs actually alter North North American manufacturing? And, And even we can't tell the difference because you know Ford's saying one thing and Honda's saying another. 
How do we how do we reconcile that? Well, I, I, maybe let's start with the latter point, in, in that the Japanese have been much more consistent with sourcing their product, the, the products, the parts locally to the assembly plant and local to the market than the Americans have. So the the typically the car with the highest domestic content is a Toyota, a model of a Toyota. And the Japanese have understood the lean principles that tell you that there's a lot of inefficiencies associated with bringing your parts in from halfway across the world. And so the uh, logically, I would expect Honda to have a different result than Ford would have because they're less impacted by the change. Helpful. Thank you. Interesting. I'm going to kind of switch gears. Um, I'm assuming you follow the AT Kearney Reshoring Index. Uh, we just took a peek at it. I think it was released in July of 2018, showing, not surprisingly, and I'm just actually right now pouring over the 2017 and 2018 steel statistics on imports. And just um, basically their index showed record imports in 2017 from traditional offshoring countries. What does data like that suggest to you? And how do you marry that up with the record numbers of, uh, you talked about 2017 being a banner year for reshoring initiatives. So how do you marry these? You know, I think it's unfortunate that, that Carney calls their index a reshoring index. It's really an imports index because they, they measure imports and the change in imports. And it's a good import index, I suspect, but it's not a good reshoring index. Reshoring is bringing back to the U.S. the production of product that for a while was made somewhere else. And so the amount of imports, the dollar value of imports is influenced by pricing of the imports, by how busy the U.S. economy is, whether people buy more things offshore, by a, a variety of actions like that, by companies deciding to bring a surge of product in to get ahead of tariffs, for example. And so there's a lot of things in imports, influencing imports other than just reshoring. So, so we say, yes, they've done a good job measuring imports, but we already had that data. They've done a, they don't know much about reshoring. When you, if you read their article, they, re, they say there were only 20 cases of reshoring in 2017, uh, and we know there were over 200 cases. So so they, they don't know much about reshoring. I think they know a lot about imports, and they should probably stick to what they know about. Great. Thank you. Interesting. So for the jobs that have come back in 2017 and 2018, what are your thoughts or concerns about our current trade environment and you know, kind of where we are? And obviously, we're somewhere in the middle of the media talks about the trade wars and all of that. What's your take, and do you have any concerns from a reshoring perspective on, you know, current trade policy? I guess is the question. Yeah. Uh, overall, we're delighted that the president has taken an aggressive position to do something about trade, because having a goods trade deficit of seven hundred to eight hundred billion per year is, in the long term, unsustainable. Uh, the, it, just balancing. The goods trade deficit would increase U.S. manufacturing by 40%. That's four zero percent So the question is, can we allow ourselves to forever not have that amount of production? To me, the answer is no. For, for reshoring is off somewhat in 2018. 
We believe it'll stay off in the short term with the trade war, trade trade competition, you know, starting to impact that. Uh, but in the long run, because the president is doing something about trade, reshoring will rebound strongly. Um, I, I, I saw a recent Wall Street Journal article that discussed uh, work coming out of China. I think it was two or three days ago in the Wall Street Journal. And so the work's coming out of China. Some's going to Vietnam, some to Cambodia. But the challenge is for the U.S. to bring a significant portion of the work here. And and if the work stayed in China, you can't bring it back. If it's coming out of China, we at least have the opportunity to bring it back. And so it's it's up to our companies to be aggressive enough to use the tools like our total cost of ownership estimator to, to understand uh, the real economics and make the right decisions. So I, I think we've created a a, a state of flux that that gives us the opportunity to win, whereas the condition we were in before we had, did not have that opportunity. So short-term cost, long-term gain. Great, thank you. So uh, one of the things that we've written about on Metal Miner is this trend of what we're calling maker to user. A better way to think about it is like the farm to table movement, right? Of eating and sourcing local ingredients and food sourced closer to the point of consumption. Same trend uh, on, the man- on a manufacturing basis to support local communities and locally sourced um, materials and, and products. Do you think that trend, if we could call it one, has long-term legs or do you think it's a passing fad? And I'd be curious to get your take on that. Yeah, I, I'd say that the trend on food is long-term because people really care about what they put in their bodies. You know, so far, they haven't cared as much about what they put on their bodies. And so, uh, but I, I have seen statistics about the, the youngest generation caring very much about the environment, about sustainability. And it's very clear that product made in the U.S., sourced in the U.S. for the U.S. market has much less environmental impact, is much more sustainable than product brought in from offshore, especially from China. So it's up to the companies to to make a case for the sustainability of their U.S. production and appeal to the younger generation, to appeal to that generation's belief in the importance of sustainability to get the youth to pay a little more to to go out of their way to select a US product and if if the companies take advantage of that and if the if the youth respond i think it'll be great and if and, and i think it's it has legs if if neither group does their job then it'll fade away Got it. No, that makes sense. So, Harry, I'd be interested in just understanding, you mentioned a total cost of ownership estimator that your organization has. Are there other resources and things that you provide as as part of your the reshoring initiative that our readers would be interested in? Yeah, so, so that, that TCO estimator is a way for, the, for a company's sourcing group, for their procurement office, to make better decisions, to include all the costs and risks that they should include uh, in evaluating, comparing, in comparing two alternatives, um, it can also be used by uh, the sales department of a company uh, to 
convince their customers to consider all of those factors. So to get the customer to look at the total impact on profitability. Uh, to, to help in all that, we also provide the import substitution program. And so a community or a company, let's, let's think, say a fabricator uh, that, that tends to make certain kinds of fabrications, we can tell them who the biggest importers are of those fabrications within, say, 500 miles of the fabrication company, and we can train them to go out and use our total cost of ownership estimator to convince the importer to buy from the fabricator instead of buying from somebody over in China or India or somewhere else. So we, we provide a lot of tools like that to help the sourcing the portions of a company, but also the sales portions of the company make better decisions. Let me dive a little more deeply. That one's very interesting, the import substitution program. So let me make sure I understand this. So if I'm an OEM and I'm currently um, buying from fabricators, of which nearly every major OEM does, um, or manufacturing OEM, they are, you're saying they could use this against their current supply base, that if some of their fabricators are bringing in these parts to, to determine whether or not there's an opportunity to source them locally? Is that what yeah, you're What saying? I'm saying is if, say, an OEM is buying fabrications, some domestic, some, yeah. some being imported, the, the domestic fabricators can use our database to see what the OEM, the big company, is importing and then use our total cost of ownership estimator to convince the OEM that some portion of what the OEM is importing should be sourced domestically by looking at all the relevant costs. Very interesting. So almost as a tool for them to grow their business within their customer base, the fabricators. Or even their non-customer base, their prospect base. If there's a company you know, 30 miles away that's importing $50 million worth of something that they make, and but buying none of it from them, well, get in there and start fighting. That's interesting. And because you're a nonprofit, how do people work with you and your organization? Well, they first they can find us at www.reshorenow.org, and uh, we have phone number, email, everything there, and they they contact me. And there, there's the TCO estimator is free. The import substitution program we charge for. But we'd be we're delighted to talk to anybody that 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 wants to um, take advantage of either. Another thing, while you've got me uh, here, uh, we're sponsoring the National Metalworking Reshoring Award, and so companies that have reshored anything that involves metal, stamping, machining, casting, what have you. Uh, they're eligible to compete for that award. So they can, again, find that on our website. Terrific. Terrific. Our goal is to bring back millions of jobs, manufacturing jobs, and we haven't reached the goal yet. So we're waiting for them to contact us and, and work on it together. Great. Well, hopefully we'll give you a little publicity with this, and I know we'll be advertising it in our newsletter as well. That's great. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share with a colleague or a friend. You can also follow our podcast on SoundCloud. And don't forget to check out our coverage of trade policy and what it means for metal buying organizations on our website, metalminer.com. Have a great week.